And so I want to thank you for coming today. Um, this is such a huge subject, the resurrection of Christ, and I really feel like I'm standing on holy ground and want to represent Christ well. But I have some resources. If I could have that up on the that, uh, I would like you, if you take your cameras out or just write them down. Because church, this is the deal. Those books will help you, uh, all of them, understand what we believe and be able to give an account of what we believe. And if you're searching, we'll answer some of your questions. These are very bright men. And I want to say this, as we take so much time, money, and effort, years, to set up ourselves for our earthly future in study. We have student loans, we go for years, and yet the most important part of our lives, we often barely consider. So these crises, to me, these are not a suggestion to, if you're part of this body, I'm asking you to please Go on christianbooks.com or Amazon and, and get them. It will give you uh, a grounding in what we believe and why we believe it. And Rabbi Zacharias, uh, an amazing, amazing man, uh, just brought this book out, Jesus Among Secular Gods, giving account for Jesus in the times we live today. So, yeah, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead and the most important day in all of history, because Jesus triumphed over sin and death. In Colossians 2.15, speaking of Jesus' victory on the cross, he says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. In Philippians 2, verse 1 to 5, and I'm just laying a little bit of a foundation uh, of the resurrection and some of the proofs for it. But I'm telling you, um, if you would really like to hear it all, uh, I'll send you home for lunch and dinner, and you can come back and spend the rest of the day here. And hopefully we will be ankle deep in this amazing subject. It speaks of Christ, Jesus the servant king, God the son, who in obedience humbled himself on a cross and rose again and exalted to the highest place. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, in effect, is the gospel in a nutshell. And I want to read it for you. And it says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, God himself made himself nothing, and took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And because of that, and this is what we celebrate today, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every single one of us will bow the knee, either in this earth or in the one in, in our eternal destiny. Every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, I want to tell you that all Christianity hinges on the fact that Jesus died for our justification and rose for our glorification. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then, water break. (laughs) Then he says this, our faith is in vain. In fact, these meetings are in vain. Our worship is in vain. And our preaching in his vain is in vain. In fact, if Jesus did not do what he said he would do, not only die on the cross, but raise from the dead, then everything we do as Christians is in vain. These are high stakes. Why? Why is that so? Because without the cross, there would be no forgiveness of sin. But without the resurrection, there would be no eternal life. Many people died on the cross. The difference is that Jesus rose from the dead. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. We see the resurrection as a major theme of the apostles' teaching. And this challenged me. We preach on the resurrection one out of 52 days of the year. But when we look at the book of Acts, there are 13 sermons that were preached in the book of Acts that are recorded, obviously many more. But ele- and in 11 of those 13, they speak of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. You see, without the resurrection, everything we do is in vain. And in fact, Paul, writing in defense of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, writes this. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. These are strong words. I use the word in vain to temper it. (laughs) Paul just says it's absolutely useless. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep before us in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. Why? Because we would be living in a false hope. But if Christ, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits are from those who have fallen asleep. For if the death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as Adam, 
for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all we will be made alive. So I'm stuttering a bit. I'm just, just a bit overwhelmed by this whole process that I've been through in just studying and looking at what Christ did. We see in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, the same chapter, Paul gives proof of the resurrection. So we've read the second half, but we'll go to the beginning. In verse 1 to 11, chapter 15, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And this is the gospel. That Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom, while Paul was writing this, were still living And they could have refuted this claim, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of all the apostles, and do not not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I work harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. This is what we preach, church, and this is what we believe. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and was raised for our justification. Why did they preach this? Because they knew the resurrection was true. They had witnessed it. This wasn't a game or fairy tale to them. They personally knew it and saw it. It became true to Paul on the road to Damascus. In Acts 9 we read that Paul was on his way to persecute Christians in Damascus. And on the way, he has a divine encounter with the risen Christ in all his glory. Paul was on a mission to destroy the church. But on his way, on that road to Damascus, go and read it. In Acts 9, he has this encounter. And that resulted in a radical transformation in his life. The Apostle John, in the vision whilst in exile, sees Christ in all his glory too. You see, we look at Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But I want to read to you a passage of a revelation that John had on the Isle of Patmos of what Jesus is today, the glorified one. And John is on this island 
He's in the spirit. He's praying to God. And he gets this revelation, which is actually the entire book of Revelation. But in the beginning of this book, this is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It says that in the Word. More than any of the others, Jesus' closest human friend. We know just before the crucifixion, John, in the, at the Last Supper, had his head on Jesus' shoulder. His best friend. But when he sees the resurrected Christ, all things change. And this is what he says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He was just so overawed. Then he placed his hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, John. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I once was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Church, this was not a revelation of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, lying in a manger. And I'm so pleased he did that. But many of the world will have us believe that's all he was. This cute little baby. This was a revelation of Jesus Christ in all his resurrected glory. And every one of us one day will stand before him. The word of God says and give an account. This is the Jesus that Paul, through revelation from the Holy Spirit, writes in Colossians chapter 1, 5 to 20. This, this, um, um, this message will be online and For the sake of time, unfortunately, as we preach, and teaching and preaching are different, we have to, in a sense, take little passages out of a whole passage. So I want to encourage you, as you search the scriptures, to to read the full chapter, read the full book, and see the context of what we're going to read here in Colossians. This is what Paul says by revelation. The one who saw him on the road, who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He says this of Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn amongst all creation. For by him all things were created. We talk of it as the Big Bang. The word of God in Genesis, and God spoke, and bang, it happened. They forget that part of the Big Bang. (laughs) For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created not only by him, but for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Church, that's why we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If your life is falling apart, if you're not being held together, and you're looking for love in all the wrong places, it doesn't work. 
Jesus, our first love. Jesus, the one that holds our lives together. Jesus, the one who holds the very universe together by his word. And he is the head of the body, the church. I'm not the head of this church. No man is the head of the church but Jesus Christ. And we have the privilege of serving Jesus Christ at different levels in the body of Christ. But he is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn amongst all the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. In everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things, um, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus came so that we could have life. Jesus came so that we could have a relationship restored with our Father. You see, Paul, through his counter on that road to Damascus, was a transformed man. Paul would have fitted in before his conversion very well with what ISIS is doing in the Middle East in bombing and persecuting Christians. He was a zealot. He was transformed from a persecutor of what to him was a blasphemous religious sect called Christianity. A people who called a mere man, Jesus Christ, God. And on that road, he was transformed into a powerful witness and servant of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about transformation? Church, we need a transformation. We need a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. We need a transformation. Jesus Christ is not our helper and our friend. And he does help us and he wants to be our friend. He is Lord and Savior. He is the one that we should see. He is the one where we should bow before and say, Not my will. Not my will, Lord. But your will be done. You see, as a result of that, that encounter in Acts chapter 9... He planted most of the churches that we read about, this angry, murderous man, saved by grace through faith. He planted most of the churches in the New Testament. Can you believe that? He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And when I read Paul's writings today and the revelation that he walked in, I'm still overwhelmed. And I'm supposed to now be a sophisticated person living in a sophisticated time. These were guys that rode donkeys and rode in on one century on a donkey and out that same century on the same donkey. Very little change. But yet he had such revelation. Where did that come from? Where did that come from, church, when we read the Word of God? He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. Left for dead. For the sake of Christ. This is what was overwhelming me, church. When I look at 
my comfortable life. And I thank God that God has put us in this amazing nation. And I see what these men did for the sake of the cross and for the sake of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the amazing thing. Finally refusing to deny Christ, imprisoned in Rome by Nero. He was beheaded for his faith. All he had to do, like the ones in the Middle East right now, is deny the resurrected Christ. And he would have lived. That's all he had to do. He would have been tortured for months, trying to get that confession. For Nero knew that if he could get Paul to deny his faith, Christianity would be in jeopardy. The great apostle Peter and the rest of the apostles, all of them, except John, who was in exile on an island called Patmos and died a lonely left, all of them were martyred for their faith. Every single one of us. So I want to ask you this. Would they do that for a lie? Would you die and give your life? These guys didn't just happen. They gave 30, 40 years evangelizing, being persecuted, chucked in there. Would you do that for a lie? And would they? And the answer, church, is nobody would. Nobody would. If I was before Nero and it was a lie, I'd say, just kidding. <laughs> Joke's on me. Sorry. I'll, I'll worship you. Because that's what Nero wanted. The Romans thought he was a god. And he didn't want to compete with Jesus Christ. You see, church, there's no doubt that something very powerful happened to transform these 11 cowardly men, cowardly men, including Paul and many other Christians, that were hiding in fear for their lives into bold witnesses willing to risk imprisonment, excommunication, torture, and death in order to reclaim the resurrection of Christ. There's no reason. This wasn't a get-rich-quick scheme. Come to Jesus and give me your bucks, and you'll have a happy life. This was laying down their lives for the King of glory. This is what it takes, church. They knew that Christ had a dean risen from the dead, And please read those books. I cannot go through it. Read the Gospels. Because after he had risen, they saw him. They talked to him. They touched him. They ate with him. And finally, they saw him ascend into heaven. How could they deny that? How could they deny undeniable truth? They saw him. Jesus walked the earth for 40 days 
And Paul says at one time, 500 people saw him. You see, knowing the truth of the resurrection, they were willing to die for him because they could, simply could not deny the truth. Because to deny the truth would be to deny themselves. Is that our conviction? Is that my conviction of Jesus Christ? So why did Jesus come to earth? I believe it's so well summed up in John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus actually came to earth to die for our sins. And if we stop there, we stop at the cross. But he was raised again. We can't preach half the gospel anymore. We preach half the gospel. That's what I realized. Focus on the cross. And we must. But many people died on the cross. But only one rose from the dead. And one was who he said he was. You see, Jesus came to pay for our sins because of relationship. That's why he came. A relationship broken by sin with our Heavenly Father, the sinless one, who could not look on sin, to restore a relationship back, to make a way back home to our fathers. Marx talked about a horizontal um, relationship and a horizontal one that we have with God. But Jesus took our hand and connected with the hand of God. And he said, welcome home. Problem is, we have a free will. People will say, why did God give us a free will? Why did God give us an opportunity to deny him and to sin? Because free will is an ultimate act of love. Is the ultimate act of love. And we'll take it into a personal relationship. Forced love on anybody, any person, any child, any spouse, is called abuse. And God didn't want to abuse that relationship. He wanted to give us a choice. He wanted to give us a choice. He didn't want us to earn it. So he sent his son to pay the price for it. Because he knew we couldn't save ourselves. But he wanted us to come back home. When Adam sinned, and God went back into the garden at night as you had fellowship with, with Adam and Eve, in that perfect garden, and he went there, he knew what had happened. He didn't go there with a stick and go to Adam and Eve and beat them into submission. He simply cried, where are you? Where are you? That cry goes out all over this earth. The difference is now we have Jesus Christ. 
that every single one of us can accept. And as I said, and I'll say it again, going to church does not make you a Christian. Living in a Christian home does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is accepting Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior. That's what makes you a Christian. Nothing else. You cannot earn it. Just as there's free will, there's no price other than His Son that could earn it for us. And He's already done that. And so this is what the whole story is all about. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved. God so loved. The world. Every single person. From Paul, this murdering, Christian killing person. To ones that feel that they're the most holy without God. In fact... Those are the hardest to reach. He loves. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Jesus paid the price on the cross. He willingly went. He endured this cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. I spoke on Hebrews 12 for the joy set before him. What was that joy? The joy wasn't the cross and the pain. He wasn't a macho guy saying, bring it on. The joy was the anticipation of you and I coming back into relationship with his father. That was the joy. So he focused past the cross and he saw us. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He said, I've had a lot of time to meditate on these. I could not imagine sending my son to a cross. I have two amazing sons. I'd like to think maybe I could go before them. It must have been tough for God to see that Jesus would save the very ones that were actually killing him. That whomsoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The whomsoever's. It's a free gift for a free will. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's what he did. That's what we celebrate. And church, I know we hear this and we can get emotional, but my heart, my true heart is that we stop living for ourselves and adding Jesus to our lives. But we get a revelation of this because Jesus does not want to take away from us. He wants to give us more. Because he says, I came so that you could have life and an abundant life. And I tell you, church, with all the stuff people have today, 
there's less joy, there's less freedom, and there's less life than there ever was in the entire history. Another boat, another car, another 10,000, 100,000 bucks. It hasn't helped. Now, God wants to bless us. God wants to use us, but he blesses us so that we can be a blessing, a conduit of his blessing. Blessing in, blessing out. Blessing in, blessing out. And I tell you, when we do that, we find fulfillment in Christ in every area. And let's just not look at finances. It's every area. He wants us to go into this world and let the world know that he hasn't condemned them. He's come to save them. And we do that through our actions. We do that through our jobs. We do that in the marketplace. You know that your job, your university, your school is your mission field. You are missionaries. Yes, God can send you to India, Asia, and Africa, and it's wonderful. But where you work, he put you there so that others, not forced but would have an opportunity to at least consider Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We are the light of the world. We need to represent him well. When we come to people and say, listen, you need to come to Jesus. And I say, bro, you've got enough problems as you are, you Christian man. Now I'm going to add Jesus to that? Sort yourself out. They don't say that. Because people in every walk of life, and you don't even have to be safe to do this, people get what we have, not what we say we have. I have peace in Jesus. I have joy in peace, Jesus. Well, give your head a shake and smile then sometimes. No. You know what I mean? All our fountains are in Him. And remember at the beginning of this year, we started... A, In this scripture, and we're still on it. John 15. I am the vine, Jesus. You're the branches. And without me, you can do nothing. But in me, you can do all things. Amen, church. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. If we could have the worship team... Come forward. I want to say that we're going to break bread. And I, I want to just say this. And I've got to be careful. But I I'm, I'm, want to say this. I'm less and less and less interested in people sticking up their hand and making a decision to try Jesus. like I'll try a new car, maybe it'll help me, or I'll try this. And I know there are times when we have to acknowledge that and, and so on. But I really want to encourage you, if you're truly seeking truth, we have an eldership team, we have leaders here who would love to sit with you, they're mature Christians in this place. Because Jesus, a God says this, If you seek me, you will find me. And I just encourage you, as we said this, and yes, uh, did Jesus die, didn't he? Go and read those books. There's, There's historical proof. 
if you're really serious. Others have accepted and gone past that. But we need to be seekers after God. And so, speak to a friend. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And let's trust God. Amen. So we're going to break bread now.